Welcome to the Concord Online Podcast. Each week, we're going to be bringing you sermons from Concord to be a resource for you to live on mission with us to inspire people to follow Jesus. Hey, grab your Bible. Let's go to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. We're going to study God's Word from the Old Testament today. And let me just again encourage you, man, to be a part of all that's happening of course, uh, through Christmas season. You can go to christmas865.com, christmas865.com, and uh, you can get all the information about all the different Christmas Eve services. There's, Christmas Eve is a Sunday this year, and so there's four services, 9, 15, and 11, just like normal, uh, and then one thirty and 3. All four of those services will be identical, all right? They'll be 45 minutes in length. They're for you to bring your kids, like the youngest to the oldest, and say, Pastor, I've got a baby. Like, they're going to be great. Like, it's going to be traditional carols. It's going to be some candlelight time. Maybe you don't want to hand the baby a candle. Uh, there'll be a Christmas story for our kids. Like, it, it'll be a sweet, sweet time together. We'll be in and out in 45 minutes, and there'll be kids running the aisles. Like, it happens every year. All right, so your children will be fine. Bring your kids. Bring your grandkids. Bring, I mean, it'll be a service for generations to be a part of. And so go all day, 9, 15, 11, 1, 30, and 3. All right. So uh, really want to encourage you to be a part of that. I also want to remind you, you've got these cards out there. Uh, we, we said we made a kind of commitment to one another that we were going to inspire three people to follow Jesus. We've got our inspire cards that have three names on it. And so there are bundles of these cards that are bundled up in threes for you to write a Christmas note to one, uh, to everybody on your inspire card. So you just, you know, hey, whoever's on their Inspire card, write them a note. Take that next step with them. There's an invite in here to Christmas Eve, but this is an easy way for you just at Christmas time to write a short note to somebody that you're trying to inspire to follow Jesus. Man, put it in the mail, and who knows how God will use your just little bit of note, little bit of time uh, to point them or direct them to take their next step with the Lord. Well, Joshua chapter 2 is where we want to spend our time together today, and you know, I was telling a friend earlier this week, I feel like we're having like a diehard Christmas, not a Hallmark Channel Christmas, uh, because last week we had Judah and Tamar, and this week we got Rahab. So it doesn't really get any easier. You know, when you're looking forward to Ruth next week, that's saying something. Uh, but what we're doing is we're working our way through all the ladies listed in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. So all of these people and the messed up stuff they're going through like all of these God used to bring the Messiah into the world. And so it should give us hope, comfort, peace, joy, love. Like it should help us really experience Christmas as we recognize, man, God uses broken people. God uses people who don't have it all together. God uses people who willfully mess up. God uses people in incredible ways. And so we, we saw that with Judah and Tamar last week, and I want to show it to you with Rahab today. Now, to really understand what's happening in Joshua chapter 2, we, I've got to land you in the Old Testament narrative and the story of what God was doing in Israel. So remember now, um, the people were in Egyptian captivity, and Moses went to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh let the people go. And so he led them across the Red Sea like he was leading them towards the Promised Land. And if you remember, Moses sent 12 spies into the Promised Land to scout it out and, and come back and bring a report. And they came back and they were like, there are giants in the land. There's no way we can do this. Uh, I don't know what to do. And only, only two of the spies said, God has given us the land. Let's go for it. Um, and so God's punishment to Israel was that for the next generation, basically, they were going to wander in the wilderness and not get to go into the promised land. 
So Moses dies along with his generation, and Joshua is now the leader of Israel. And Joshua tells the people, we're going. We're going into the promised land, and he sends two spies to scout the way. This teaches us so much. I mean, it wasn't that there was a lack of wisdom or a lack of faith. It was, it was that, you know, God was calling Joshua to use his wisdom to develop a plan of how he was going to fulfill the purposes of God as he called him to take the promised land. And so these two spies, they go into Jericho. Jericho was one of the closest major cities or, or larger cities, I guess I should say, uh, to where the Israelites would cross into the promised land. Jericho was a strategic Canaanite stronghold. It was mighty in many ways, but it was dark in every way. It was, man, a spiritual wasteland. All kinds of idol worship would happen there. All kinds of false gods were, were worshipped there. And, and so he would, they go into this place and the scripture says they stay at the house of a lady named Rahab who was a prostitute. And as the king of Jericho finds out that two Israeli spies have come into town, they, they send to Rahab's house and they're like, bring them out. We're going we're gonna to deal with them. And, and Rahab lied. She lied to the king and his men and said, like, they're not here. They left as the sun was setting, as it was dusk. They went out the gates and the gates are now closed. But yet she had hid them in the roof of her house. You say, how were they hid in the roof of a house? Well, it wasn't shingles, all right? They, there was this, this thatch roof idea, and so you could actually kind of get up in and amongst the posts that were built, and, and you could hide people in the roofs of houses. And, and she hid them there, and she then would later lower them outside the wall, and they would escape. But yet God would use Rahab. You say, hold on, you're telling me that God's going to use the lady that is a prostitute and a liar? Well, that's what God does, and let's wrestle through it today. Stand with me, and let's study Joshua chapter 2. We're going to pick it up in verse 8. Joshua chapter 2, pick it up, verse 8. So before the men lay down, that's meaning before they were up in the roof for the night, she came up to them on the roof, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings, the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, verse 11, underline this scripture if you underline in your Bible. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours is even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will do kindly and faithfully with you. And then she let them down by a rope to the window, for her house was built in the city wall, so she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you. 
and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come to the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out the doors of your house in the street, his blood will be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made to us swear. And she said, according to your words, be it so. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. I feel like there is so much that we need to address before we can really even lean in here to learn today. There's so much that we have questions about. And so let's just address a couple of the confusing uh, our parts or elements of the passage. It's, it should be strange to us and it should seem not right to us that these spies, these people of God, these spies found refuge in the house of a prostitute. It's like, hold on now, like, it's like this occupation would be considered immoral in any day, so like, what's, what's going on? Why are they there? Well, I mean, state the obvious, the text does not say why they chose this place. The text does carefully avoid the suggestion that the spies and Rahab had any sexual relations. So we don't know their motives of why they went there per se. I mean, they were fallen men, and, and this could be a, a story and of, of you know, them not making good decisions, but, but most likely there's a, a better explanation. And in this time, there, there wasn't a Hampton Inn you know, to run to in Jericho. Um, it wasn't like you could just grab a hotel room. And so if you were traveling through a region and it came night, you would really do a couple things. You would have known someone in the town to go stay with, or you would stay outside of town and camp. You would stay outside of town with your family, you'd have a fire, you'd have a meal, and you would just kind of spend the night in a tent and, and then move on about your way. And so there was really no this sense of like, well, I, I got to get a hotel reservation. And, and, and so when the spies were sent to spy in Jericho, there would have been very few places for them to stay. And so this could be just the deal of like, it, it wasn't going to be noticeable. People were coming and going from the, from the prostitute's house all day long. So, so it would not, they would not have been noticed. They could have stayed there undetected, per se. It was in the city wall, and so it was on the outskirts of the city. They didn't have to go all the way into the city for lodging. And so while we don't exactly know, we, we understand the text is going like, hey, there, there was nothing going on here. It just, it just was what it was. And what's so interesting, it seems as though this hiding place was God-ordained, although you would never think about it that way. The second struggle that we have when we study Rahab is the fact that she just simply told a lie. I mean, when the king's men came to her and it was like, hey, where are the spies? Bring them out. She was like, they left. What's so interesting about what she told them is it, it would have sent alarm bells all over town. Like, like, how could these spies come in the gate and then go out the gate with no one noticing that there were Israeli spies here? It, it would have shocked the leaders of the day. And so 
you know, the king of Jericho, and, and so many times we get confused by that, and this time these were they're like city-states, and so every town had a king, right? And the king was in charge of keeping those people safe and providing for those folks, and kings would war against kings for p- property boundaries and the limits of their authority, and And so the city was built with walls and gates. That's what gave it protection. You were considered affluent if you could live in the city and not outside the walls. And the gates of the city was a place that was well guarded and it was the place of commerce. If if you grew up in a southern town, you know, maybe your southern town had like a town square. And so you kind of put that in your mind's eye of like, you know, all these people at the square kind of doing business, commerce, getting to know one another. It's where judgments were made. All of that took place at the city gate. And so for Rahab to say they left right before dusk, right before the gates closed, they got out. I mean, it would have been like, like, how did we not notice? And so all of this turmoil is happening, but yet Rahab is honored in scripture for her actions. So what are you talking about? Well, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, the scripture says, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab, by faith, was honored in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11 because of her friendly welcome to the spies. Or how about James? In James chapter 2, verse 25, the scripture says in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So, so James is making this correlation to the work of hiding the spies and sending them another way as an expression of faith. And now I think we can begin to understand You see, verse 11 is so key in our understanding of the condition of Rahab's heart. Like what Rahab had experienced is that she had experienced a transformation. Rahab had come to the understanding that the God in Israel was the one true God. Like verse 11, she's like, for the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and the earth below. And so for Rahab, this moment of hiding spies was not lying To her authorities, it was an act of civil disobedience. You see, Rahab now did not look at the civil magistrates as her ultimate authority. She began to see God as her ultimate authority. And she feared God more than she feared man. And so this expression here was an expression of civil disobedience. Now, for us today, we have to be very clear and very careful. Like, lean in right here. This isn't the time to doze off. Like, lean in. Romans 13 is very clear that as Christians, we're called to submit to the authority of the land. So God is calling every one of us to submit to our governing authorities, but there are limits to our submission to governing authority when governing authority asks asks us to do things that are opposed to the word of God. Our supreme authority is Christ, and we are citizens of his kingdom first. Our earthly authority is being citizens of the nation, the people that make up the United States of America, if you live here, or whatever nation you live in or are watching from today. Like you're called to live under that civil authority, but that civil authority has a limit when it's asking you to do something that's opposed to the living, breathing word of God. And so any type of civil disobedience should be based in and found in and derived from the word of God. 
And we must be very careful with how we apply his word to apply it rightfully so we don't disqualify ourselves. So for Rahab, this was a moment not of lying, but of saying, I'm choosing to serve God, not be at peace with my governing authorities. I'm choosing to be used of God over being comfortable at home. So what can we learn? How can we wrestle with this and what peace does God want to give us today? I think we can learn three things. First, we can understand that faith requires risk. Faith requires risk. You know, when we look at Rahab's life, we're like, man, this was a risky move. Like, what if they come in anyway? She didn't know they'd just go away. What if they find the spies? Like, what if this doesn't go well? But what Rahab understood was verse 11, that there was one true God, and the one true God had given the land on which she lived to the people of Israel, and she wanted to be counted as a part of God's people, not a part of the Canaanite people. Like, like faith requires a risk that we say we're no longer going to identify ourselves based on man-made systems. We're going to identify ourselves based on spiritual realities. And the spiritual reality that Rahab understood was that these little G gods that populated her town were not providing what the true God of Israel was providing his people. Like she could see the difference. And so in verses 9 through 11, she just goes through this summary of Israel's reputation. And she's like, it's obvious that your God is the true God. And we all know it and we're scared to death about it. But I'm choosing to be on the victorious side of the real God. And friends, every one of us have that decision to make with our lives. Like, like see the picture in your mind's eye. What Rahab could see was imminent death coming with the wrath of the Israeli army. Like as the Israelites came, she, she, she just saw the wrath of God and the destruction of her community. But she also saw a way to be counted as in God. And this is our gospel hope today. Like, like we can begin to see this foreshadowing taking place because Paul would write in the church at Rome, like, like, hey, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. So before Christ, what we can see is the wrath of God coming towards our sin. But when we receive the gift that is Jesus, he steps between us and the wrath of God and the blood of Jesus satisfies the demands of the wrath of God. And so we see it foreshadowed here, and we will see it complete in Christ, that Jesus Christ is the advocate of every man. He stands between sinful man and the wrath of God, and he rescues us from the wrath of God and qualifies us for the presence of God. Like this is the risk that I'm choosing faith in Christ. That I'm saying, man, I'm not going to live how everybody else lives. Like I'm just going to live covered by the blood of Jesus walking in the victory of Christ. And see, Rahab's here, she's, she's showing us the way, but this is before Christ, so it's a foreshadowing. It's the picture of what's really happening as we're saved. And Christ fulfills this need. Christ is the sufficient sacrifice. Christ is the only one who could hold back God's wrath toward sin. 
And Christ is the one who makes us holy. Like there's, there's so much that's important about verse 11. Like, like Rahab is, like she is declaring her allegiance to God, Israel's God. She, she's, she's affirming that Israel's God is greater than the cultural traditions she grew up in. And she's casting aside like all the cultural norms by taking these actions. And when she says in, in the heavens above and in the earth below, like she is making a theological statement about the sufficiency of God. How there is nothing and no one that compares to him. Like what Rahab is acknowledging in this moment is she is acknowledging that she is more like the children of Israel because of her faith in God than she's like her Canaanite brothers and sisters who she's grown up with all along. And this is what the life of faith looks like, man. Like it's going to require some risk because you're going to have to put yourself out there. Like she had to step out there. She had to make this confession of faith. She had to hide these, she had to take these actions. But these steps of faith show who she really was. And it identified her with her God, not with her people. And friends, if you've truly come to saving faith in Christ today, like if you've really been changed by Jesus, you have more in common with a Christian believer in South Africa or South Asia than you do a lost family member who lives in your house. Like our identity when we truly have real faith is based on Christ, not on familial blood. It's based on Jesus, not on college football allegiance. It's based on Christ, not even community residence. It's all about Jesus. And this is where Rahab got herself to, where she was saying, like, everything about this community that I've known and grown up in does not satisfy me like my faith in the God of Israel does. Can, can you make that statement? That there's nothing about your life that satisfies you like being in the presence of your God does. You see, if, if you're not living a faith that risks, you'll get comfortable in the culture. You'll think, well, it's just how it is. I'm just enjoying my life. But when you step out and you begin to risk things to express your faith in God like Rahab has done, all of a sudden you'll discover that as I walk by faith and not by sight, I experience God's peace like I've never known. And I find courage for the journey. So faith, it requires risk. Second, faith redefines legacy. Faith redefines legacy. Like what you love about Rahab is she has a pretty dicey past. But we see her in the Hebrews 11 Hall of Fame of Faith. We see her in James saying like she had a faith that worked. And then we see her in the genealogy of Christ. Like, like God delivered the Messiah through this woman. Like generations later, we meet Jesus. 
Like, how, how can this be? Like, why, why does this happen this way? Wouldn't you just expect God to, like, like, preserve this royal line through people that had it all together? But that's not what our God does, and that's not how our God operates, because God is in the transforming business. Look, her occupation was no longer her identity after verse 11. When she made her confession and she became public with her faith, like she was a different woman. Spiritually speaking, she was not in the ideal circumstance to be used of God until she surrendered and then she was in the perfect place to be used of God. But like, see this, so many times we think, well, if I'll just, you know, get everything figured out in my life and, and then God will use me. Man, God's going to use you when you surrender your life to him, not when you figure it all out. Some of us are like, like, man, if I could just learn more Bible, then God will really use you. Man, there is enough Jesus in you to change the world if you would just surrender to him and let him go. Like, Jesus is not a lion to control. He is a lion to open the gate and let loose. And when you let him loose in your life, he redefines you, he transforms you, he changes you. You're not who you used to be. I think I've told you before, like some of my friends, man, uh, I grew up playing ball and, you know, played all kinds of sports. If I had a ball, I was in it, you know, and, uh, and, and so many of my friends in college, like when they come to faith in Christ, they'd say, I know I've come to Jesus because I've lost half my vocabulary. It's like, I just, I don't, he's like, I don't even want to say the things I used to say. Like, I, I love that. I love that thought of just like, like he changes me. He transforms me. He helps me. Hello? Right, so, so like faith redefines this legacy. Faith changes you. It turns you. It makes you new. It restores you. Like Rahab had no spiritual legacy. She'd not benefited from the godly leadership of Moses. She'd not sat under Joshua. She'd not been encouraged to go and take the land. She was not a son or daughter of the promise. She was an outsider to the kingdom. She hadn't walked across the Red Sea on dry ground. She hadn't seen God do miraculous things. She hadn't been fed with manna in the wilderness. She had never seen the cloud by day or the fire by night. But yet her life was changed because she had an encounter with the living God. So look, man, stop worrying about what you've missed out on and start recognizing what you have in Christ. Because faith, it redefines your legacy. She is not remembered because of her occupation. She's ultimately remembered because of how through her the Messiah was born. You see, there's so much hope in this passage because God used this woman with a dark past. And, and friends, if he will use this woman, he will use you. The, the love of God is so obvious here. Like he ordered Rahab's steps in order that she might experience his love for her. Like the transforming power of God is an expression of God's love for you. Like God is rich in mercy. God's not mad at you. You say, well, I've done things that are wrong. He, he punishes sin, but he loves you. Just like a loving parent loves their child although they make mistakes. And just like a loving parent receives love like you moms and dads you know the difference when your child comes and says I love you because he's either done something wrong and doesn't want you to find out or he wants to rip you off somehow you know what I'm saying 
But you also know that genuine like, hey, man, thank you. Like, I love you. You've been good to me. Like, you, you know the difference. And so does our God. Like, you're not going to work him. He has expressed his love for you in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We can see it more clearly now than Rahab could see it then. And she chose to believe and allow Jesus through God like, to transform her life. And Jesus will transform your life today if you'll surrender to him and receive him as Savior. Because faith, it requires risk, it redefines legacy. And finally, we see in this passage that peace is the reward of faith. Peace is the reward of faith. So how the story goes, she hides the spies and then she lets them down through the window. And she lets them down through the window after she, they've come to this agreement and arrangement that anyone that's in the house is going to be saved. So the people in the house, or, or when the army comes back, will get saved. And all that Rahab was supposed to do is to, to tie that scarlet cord in her window. And it's so interesting when you read about it, like the spies go down, and right then and there, she ties the cord in the window. Like at that moment. See, why, why does she do it at that moment, you think? I think it was an expression of faith. She did not know, but she knew whose side she would be on. I think it was a moment of like, I'm not going back. And so every day... She would gaze out that window in the city wall and she would see that scarlet thread and it would increase her faith because she would remember the promise that was made. And one day that army did arrive. And you remember the story? They marched around the outside of the city. And so as they would march by Rahab's house, those spies would remember the cord, would remember the scarlet thread. And Rahab would see that army when everyone was cowering in fear. She saw them through the window with the thread that was there. And day by day, they'd march around and she'd see that thread. And the day came, they'd blow their trumpets and everyone would cower in fear. But yet she saw that thread. And the day the walls came crashing down and hers remained she saw that thread. You see, she was at peace because of her faith, because she could see the scarlet thread of the promise. And for you and I today, we see the same scarlet thread of the promise through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he's left us his living and active word to keep us and to hold us and to give us great confidence and certainty that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it, as Paul told Philippi, that he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That there's never been a time our God was not and there never will be a time our God will not be. The scarlet thread of Jesus Christ grants us Peace beyond understanding because of our faith in him. So trust our God today and walk in his peace. He's given you confidence in his word. He has shown you his love through his cross and the resurrection. And he's invited you to his family so that you would know real peace. Thanks for joining us this week on the Concord Online Podcast. If you have any questions surrounding today's sermon, 
or simply want to learn more, you can do so at concordonline.org. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast to stay up to date with each weekly release.